Hey, welcome back to the Natural Curiosity Project. About a year ago, I published The Nation We Knew, which was my 97th book and my second novel. It's a political fantasy, and while it's an exercise in pure fiction, the story is created from about, I don't know, 4,000 hours, and that's a real number, of deep, detailed research that I did as I wrote it. The more I learned, the more I realized how little I knew about an awful lot of things, so I kept at it. The story got deeper and richer, the characters became increasingly real to me, and 11 years after the idea began to take shape in my head, I finished the book and got it published. The book caught the attention of a lot of people, many of them influential, and two weeks after it came out, it was the number one best-selling title on Amazon in political fiction worldwide. It continues to sell well as both a physical book and an ebook, and there's now quite a bit of demand for the Audible version, which I'm working on. And a screenplay's in the works, thanks to interest and encouragement from a couple of people in Hollywood. Now, why has the book been so successful? I mean, it's a good story, yeah, but there's more to it than that. One of the people who contacted me about turning it into a script for TV or a movie asked me an interesting question during our first meeting. He said, if you could describe your book in a single word, what would it be? I told him, well, that's easy, hope. He pumped his fist and said, yes, fantastic. Now, when I asked him the reason for his overly enthusiastic response, he told me that Hollywood is tired of the same old thing, as is the market. They're looking for a message of hope, a message that says, you know what, we're better than this. We can do better. He told me that my book had that. I like to think so. The Nation We Knew tells the story of a president who comes to power with a single agenda, to fix as many things in the country as she possibly can in a single four-year term. She has no desire to serve a second term, believing that most presidents spend their first two years of their first term learning how to be a president, and the second two years campaigning for a second term. And if they get reelected, they do the same thing again, spending the second two years as either a lame duck or campaigning for their successor. In other words, a two-term president only serves four of their eight years, which is one of the few jobs where you can get away with that. I mean, can you imagine working 20 hours of your 40-hour work week and having a boss who's okay with it? I can't. Anyway, helped by a geopolitical event that makes it possible for the president to bypass a lot of the political gridlock that paralyzes Washington today, that's the fantasy part of the book, she sets out to gore as many sacred cows as she possibly can. She goes after education, health care, infrastructure, prison reform, foreign policy, transportation, immigration, lobbyists, food policy, special interest groups, telecom and IT regulation, energy— picks something that's perceived to be broken in the United States, and she sets out to fix it, together with her unusual cabinet, which, frankly, looks more like a board of directors. Now, let me give you an example. When she decides to take on the massive dysfunctionality that is healthcare today, her cabinet tells her not to bother because she'll never fix the old system. It's too embedded, too entrenched, too much a part of the existing status quo. Her response? I don't want to fix it. I want to create a different system and then let people pick the one they like best. So she challenges her cabinet to head out into the world to study healthcare systems in other countries, directing them to find what each system does really well, and then bring that part back. So Australia, for example, has the best mental health system in the world. Nobody does elder care like Japan. 
The UK has terrific medical records and management capabilities. Israel does primary care better than anybody. The list goes on and on and on. So she tells her cabinet, get out there and collect the best of the best from all over the world, bring the ideas back here, and let's see if we can cobble together a Frankenstein-like alternative made up of the best parts of different systems from all over the world. This reminds me of one of my favorite aphorisms. The quickest way to become a leader is to find a parade and get in front of it. Now look, I'm not hopelessly naive as some of the self-declared right-wing critics and even some of the equally rabid far-left critics of the book branded me in their rabid criticism of the story. You know, y'all do know this is a novel, right? That means fiction. I made it up. In fact, a decent percentage of the negative reviews, and I'm still trying to figure out how they actually got posted in the first place, start with, well, I haven't read it yet, but it's obviously, really? You haven't read it yet? That's what you're going to go with? Wow. Anyway, look, I'm not naive. What I am is hopeful and optimistic. I can't help it. It's who I am. Look, I know that healthcare is a lot more complicated than I make it out to be in the book. And I know how hard it would be to actually do many of the other things that my effective but fictional president manages to accomplish. But here's the deal. I did a lot of research and I tossed out a lot of ideas. I did a lot of what-if thinking. I challenged my readers to simply ask themselves, what if we could do something really radical? Set aside preconceived beliefs let go of what is and think about what could be, and leave the donkeys and elephants outside while the grown-ups look at problems and craft answers, making the will of the people more important than the desire to get re-elected. What I'm about to say, I say with complete honesty. To those people who read the book and then trashed it because they see it as a left-leaning, unrealistic, snowflake-driven fantasy, well, first of all, thanks for reading it, assuming you did. And I really mean that. Second, shame on you for ignoring the point, which is the need for change, regardless of your political position. Things are broken. We need to fix them. It's that simple. If you've got a better idea, let me hear it. Now, to those people who read The Nation We Knew and praised it, concluding with comments like, if only, I say the same thing. Thank you for taking the time to read the book. It means a great deal to me. But I also say this. If you want something different, You've got to do something different because hope isn't a strategy. Look, true leadership is based on two things. First, the commitment to demonstrate what could be rather than what is to anybody who will listen. And second, to follow up that vision of a better future with actions designed to move people toward it. That seriously is what leadership is about. And frankly, it's hard to come by today, especially in politics. As a nation, we're suffering from a lack of leadership on both sides of the aisle. Almost all of them have chosen to embrace the status quo as a way to get themselves re-elected instead of doing their damn jobs, the jobs for which we hired them. And I say again, this is equal opportunity criticism I'm throwing out here. Politically, I sit in the center. I lean right or left on specific issues based on what I believe to be the right thing. From where I sit, both parties have abdicated their responsibilities to the people that they were elected to serve. And by the way, when I talk about leadership, I'm talking about leadership in any scenario. Corporate executives who are seen as true leaders do both of these things that I mentioned really well. They create a vision of a better status quo, and then they take action to make it happen. On the other end of the spectrum, 
Entire nations can do it. Don't just talk about change. Make change happen. Don't just talk about going to the moon. Go to the moon. Don't just talk about eradicating polio. Kill it off. Remove the threat. And don't just talk about making our country safe and secure and welcoming to all and a beacon of hope to the world. Get off your ass and do it. This is why I'm disgusted by the standard hopes and prayers response that comes out of Washington every time there's a racial incident or school shooting. You know what that is? It's what I call slogan leadership. You know what I'm talking about. They sell posters that celebrate it. An eagle flying high over a mountain range with the word strength printed under it. Or two hands shaking in front of a dark background, one hand invariably black, the other white. Deep symbolism. Or racing crews on a foggy river early in the morning, all synchronized with the person in front calling out the cadence for the rowers, and under it, the word leadership. These are examples of slogan leadership. If I hang the poster in the office, I don't actually have to be a leader. The slogans take care of that. That is an abdication of leadership responsibility, a way to replace action with words and pictures. The Nation We Knew is a novel. It's a fantasy. It's fiction. But it's a story based on an awful lot of research and many, many conversations with people on both sides of the political spectrum brave enough to dream about what could be rather than what is. It's my attempt to be a thought leader, offering up a vision of what could be if we were to put our heads together, set aside the worship of the false gods of the status quo, and dream about possibilities. It's been a long time since we rallied around something like that as a nation. Don't you think it's time we gave some thought to the kind of country we want to leave for our children and their children to grow up in? A country where doing the right thing morally and ethically supersedes everything else? I do. It's why I wrote the book. If you've got a better idea, I'm all ears. So thanks for listening. If you've read the book, sincerely, thank you very much. I'd love to hear your constructive thoughts. If you haven't, please do. It's a fun story. And who knows, it might help you come up with your own ideas about what the future should look like and what we can collectively do to make it a reality. Not for ourselves, but for all of those hopeful young people who are going to inherit this world from us. Let's make sure that the nation we knew is something we're all truly proud of. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for listening.